Romans chapter 1, verse 8 through 15. The word of the Lord says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. As you know, this passage is a letter, it's an epistle of the Apostle Paul written to the Church of Rome. And as I think about the situation that we're in, it could become easy, for, for some of us anyway, to overlook the importance of our physical gatherings. After all, some may feel that we really aren't missing out on much through the gift of technology, we're, we're still able to hear our worship team. Through technology, we're still able to recite our creeds and recite our scriptures, hear a weekly sermon, and we're even able to give our offerings online. In fact, we, as I mentioned earlier, we've added uh, more Bible studies, given us access to more of the Word than we've ever had before as a church. And while there are some benefits of being able to virtually assemble, what we lose far outweighs what we gain. In other words, it's not an equal trade-off. Not being able to physically assemble doesn't put us ahead. In fact, I'm going to argue it puts us behind. See, there are plenty of people that can enjoy attending church online or online services only, even when they're not physically hindered to do so from partaking in a physical gathering like we are today. In fact, many people actually prefer attending church online rather than in person. As I said, they're still able to enjoy the music and the sermon and, and even give. So they feel that they really aren't missing out on anything. After all, going to church online is more convenient. You don't have to get up as early. You can even attend church in anything that you're wearing. But I think a lot of us know that there's something missing when we can't physically gather together. And it's something more than just social interaction. It's not that we're just tired of being alone in our homes and in our rooms and we're just really missing our friends. I mean, there's something to that. But I think it's more than that. Owen Strand, a professor and author, published an article recently about his desire to gather again with the saints. And I'm just going to quote a bit from it. In it he says, and I quote, While not wishing social media and the internet go away in this age, I am personally very excited to get realness back. I want the old ways. I love going to church on Sunday and gathering with the localized form of the body of Christ. Conversely, when I log on to various online platforms, I encounter buffering and delays and strange hiccups. The person I'm talking to suddenly morphs into a character out of the Matrix, talking in weird electro-distortion sound waves. We trip over each other's sentences and so forth. 
My sense is that many are seeing that we have the capability for much more online engagement. That's true, I suppose, but I also see many folks presently yearning for the real world, the embodied interaction, the total human experience. Now, Strand here makes a good point. He makes a good point about the longing for human interaction. And and while online services and virtual Bible studies may be good for us for a season, there are no substitute for the real thing. But yet again, I think there's something more that we are missing out on than just interaction. Yes, interaction is a big part of what we miss most. We love being able to see one another and shake their hand or, or give them a hug and so forth. But there's also something spiritual that we miss out on when we cannot gather together. And I think the Apostle Paul shows us a little of that here in his opening letter to the saints of Rome. Now, just to give you a little background, Rome was a place that Paul never got to visit himself. He, he planned to visit, he hoped to visit, but he was put to death before he got to do so. The epistle to the Romans is a letter to a Christian community in Rome that he wasn't personally familiar with, which makes what he says here in our passage even more remarkable. Let us look again at verse 8 through 10. He says, First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. So we see here Paul Thanking God for a people that he doesn't personally know. This tells us that it's more than just friendship that connects the body. It's more than just mere interaction that, or, or how the body of Christ is united. The body of Christ is united not socially. It's united spiritually. And because we are united spiritually, we desire to gather socially. We desire to live our lives physically together. This is why Paul can have so much affection for a people he doesn't even know. Though he's not gathered with them socially, he's already one with them spiritually. As we see here in verse 10, they are always in his prayers, hoping that he may one day come to see them. He will give us some reasons on why he wants to see them, which will be our lesson this morning, but... We, too, should be like Paul and desire to see one another. Before we get to the main points of my servant, I want to take a brief moment to touch on what Paul mentions here in verse 10. Because I believe it's relevant to everything that we are dealing with at the moment. In verse 10, he says, asking that somehow, by God's will, I might now succeed in coming to you. Now, I've already mentioned Paul never succeeded in coming to them. He was put to death before he got to do so. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that it wasn't in God's will that he would meet these dear saints in Rome. Because again, his prayer is asking that by somehow in God's will, I might come to see you. But he was put to death before he got to see them. Again, it tells us that it wasn't in God's will that he got to see them. Which also tells us that there are some things that seem so right to us that are not in God's will. I mean, you would think it would be in God's will that Paul would be able to meet these dear saints, people that he lifted up in prayer, people that he thanked God for. If there is anything you would think would be in God's will, I mean, wouldn't this be it? This tells us, as Isaiah 55 eight, that our ways are not his ways, neither are our thoughts his thoughts. Think of all the things that seem so right 
and so good to us right now that have been canceled or have been put on hold. Large Christian conferences, missionary trips, outreach opportunities, that trip that you had planned with your spouse, that, that raise that you were planning to get that you didn't get, even our weekly services, all canceled seemingly overnight. Why? Because it was God's will. And some might say, no, no, hold on a second. You can't say that. God's will is always good things. God's will is always peace and and health and prosperity. You can't say that these things that are happening now that are bad are in his will. After all, the bad is supposed to come from the devil. See, although I may question why God would not allow some good things, such seemingly good things and right things, to go on and why he would allow some horrible things to go on, that's better than the alternative. Because though I may question those things, the alternative terrifies me. Because the alternative is that we serve a God that is so weak and helpless in the face of evil that there's nothing he can do to stop it. But see, I don't serve that God. I serve a God that sits in the heavens and does what he pleases. I serve a God whose plans cannot be thwarted. So when I read a passage by Paul saying that he prays that God's will would allow him to visit his fellow saints in Rome, but they come to find out that he was beheaded in a prison cell, all I can do is sit back and say that he was beheaded because of the will of God. And I know that's hard to accept for some people, but again, the alternative is that God could do Nothing to stop it. But that's not the God that we serve. We serve a sovereign God who's in control of all. See, I don't know why we can't meet together. Doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make sense that we had to cancel things that we deem to be so good, our outreaches, our evangelism nights. It doesn't make sense that some of us are losing our jobs. But all I can do is trust the will of God. His will is that we not meet physically at this time for reasons unknown to me, but I trust his will and I trust his word. I trust his word, which tells me that all things work to good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul's gathering with the saints in Rome was determined by God. Our gatherings every Lord's Day are determined by God. And like Paul, we should have that same desire to come and meet with one another. We should have that same longing to see each other. And as we continue on in our passage, Paul is going to give us some reasons why. Let's look at those together. Why? Why should we have this desire to gather? Again, isn't it enough that we can stream our sermons online and hear our worship songs online? What is the purpose of physically gathering together? I think Paul shows us a few things here in our passage. Number one is to give strength to others. Look again at verse 11. For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine's. Paul shows us that one of the reasons he desired to gather with these saints in Rome was to impart a spiritual gift to them. This tells us that this imparting required him being with them personally, not from afar, I mean, as we see here, Paul obviously had an open communication with them already. Now, of course, Paul didn't have Zoom or YouTube like we do today. But through his written letters, he was able to speak to them and them to him. He could have said, "Uh, you know what, that's enough. 
Anything that I want to say, I can write in a letter. Or I can relay it in a message to someone who's traveling to Rome. And vice versa, if he wanted to hear from these dear saints, they could have written him a letter. But this spiritual gift, whatever it was, that he wished to impart to them couldn't be done through a letter. This required a physical gathering. This required a personal interaction. So the question becomes, what is this spiritual gift? What is it that can't be imparted through a letter or from afar? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, we read this. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. KJV here uses spiritual gifts instead of manifestations of the Spirit. But it says, strive to excel in building up the church. In verse 26 of that same chapter, it says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, Paul doesn't tell us in our Romans passage what exactly the spiritual gift that he wished to impart was. However, looking at what he wrote elsewhere in the scriptures, whatever it was, it was to build up these saints in Rome. In other words, it was for their benefit. It was to strengthen them. And just as the text here in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, this is done not through a letter. This is done when you come together. It's not something that can be done from afar or from the comfort of your own home. When you share your spiritual gift, it is to be shared in the presence of others when you are gathered together. This is why Paul desired to gather with the saints in Rome. And this is why we should desire to gather with one another. Because each one of us has a gift that God has given us. And this gift is not to be concealed, hiding behind a computer. It is to be shared in the presence of all. This is why our church attendance shouldn't be based merely on our feelings. Sometimes you hear people say all the time, oh, I'm I'm not going to go to church this week because I just don't feel like it or I'm not feeling it this week. Now, that might work for an online service when not logging on or not getting online only affects you. But in the weekly gathering of the saints, others are affected when you are absent. Amen. See, don't think of going to church just for yourself. Think of going to church for others. Think of that person that could have used your spiritual gift that day. Think of that person that could have used your familiar smile or your hug or your testimony or your word of encouragement. Think of that one who could have used your gift of singing or gift of service. Think of the ones that are blessed and strengthened just by you being there. There are just some things that we can't give behind a computer screen. There are some gifts that we can't manifest through online streaming. This is why we should earnestly desire to come together again. Because I know there's a brother or there's a sister out there that needs strength and need. And I want to be there for them. Amen. I want to give them what God has given me. And you might not think that it's much. But for that person, that one Sunday, it might be everything. First Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The first lesson we take from Paul about desiring to meet is to use our gifts to strengthen others. Let's go on. Why else does Paul want to meet these saints and why, we, why should we want to gather again? To receive strength from others. Look at verse 13. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. See, not only did Paul desire to meet the saints in Rome to impart his spiritual gift to them, but he also wanted to receive from them. As it says there, he wanted to reap some of the harvest among them as well as among the Gentiles. Now, reaping a harvest is an agricultural phrase. The biblical authors use it time and time again. They use it as an analogy because people in their days were familiar with this. And Paul knows that the gospel had been planted there in Rome and it was beginning to reap. In other words, there was a stirring up. There was starting to be some visible evidence of the gospel going on in the city. And people were being converted from paganism and Judaism to Christianity. Lives were being transformed. And Paul wanted to come and see that for himself. He wanted to be encouraged by that. Not only that, he wanted to give them strength through his spiritual gift. He wanted to give them strength, but he also wanted to receive strength. He wanted to receive encouragement by the work that God was doing in the city. An encouragement that he couldn't get in a letter. No, this was something that he needed to see in person. I mean, it was good to hear about the work that God was doing through a letter or through a friend. But there was something special about being there and seeing it for himself. He wanted to gather with them so that he can reap this blessing. And this should be our desire as well. Not only do we desire so we can impart our gift to one another. We desire so that we can receive from one another. Now, I'm not talking about consumerism. I'm not talking about a consumerism approach to church because I know that exists, too, where, you know, people think church is all about them and what you received, what you didn't receive and and things like that. No, church is the gathering of the saints. It's not a trip to Applebee's. However, there is something to be said about receiving when we come to church. And there's a certain thing that we can only receive in person. I mean, let's face it. A lot of things can be done online. There are a lot of things that the church offers that can be consumed online. And if church were only about those things, then what's the point? Let's just close down our our buildings. Why do we need a place to gather? Why do we need to pay rent when we can consume worship and we can consume singing and we can hear our sermons and even give online? It's because while church is indeed about those things, it's not only about those things. The church in the New Testament is translated with a word we're all familiar with, the ecclesia. It's the Greek word for church in the New Testament. It means the called out. And the word was used to describe a people that were called out together. It was used to describe an assembly. And this is what the local church has always meant. From the New Testament to today, whenever someone talked about the visible local church, they talked about a people that physically assembled together. Yes, there are other members of the body of Christ around the world that we may never get to meet. They are part of the capital C worldwide universal church. But the New Testament speaks of a local church, one with qualified elders, one that practices church discipline, one whose members submit to one another. And these things are essential and a requirement for a church to be a church in the New Testament. And these things are things that cannot be done on YouTube or Facebook or your church website. These things Things can only be done by the ecclesia, the called out people of God, assembling together physically as they submit to God and one another. See, God knows what's best for our spiritual health. 
And he has ordained the local church to aid us in our walk with Christ. He knows that we will not be healthy in isolation. He has blessed us with the gift of fellow believers to walk alongside of us as we live our Christian lives. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. There are some spiritual gifts that others have for you that can only be received in their presence. There are some smiles that don't come through a screen, some words of encouragement that don't translate in a text. There are some embraces that are impossible to receive through social media. And yes, there are also rebukes and exhortations, things that we might not always enjoy, but that we desperately need for our health, our spiritual health. And we lose all that when we cannot physically gather together. Hebrews 10, 24, famous text. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice what's absent and notice what's present in this text here in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews doesn't say, let us gather to hear a sermon. Let us gather to sing songs, though you can argue that's implied. That's not what he's highlighting here in this passage. What does he highlight? Why should we not neglect to gather? Because we are supposed to be stirring one another to love and good works. We are supposed to be encouraging one another as the day draws near. And again, the normal way to do this is by the physically gathering of the saints, the physical gathering of the saints. Yet. There is still more that we miss out on when we can't gather. Yes, we miss out on what we receive. Yes, we miss out on what we can give. But we also miss out on gospel proclamation. This is what Paul was longing for. Notice verse 14 of our passage here in Romans. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See, not only did Paul desire to meet the church in Rome to impart his gift, and not only did he desire to meet them to reap a harvest, but he also desired to meet them so what he can preach the gospel to them. Now, we can easily say, time out, wait a minute, Paul, I know you had to see those dear saints in Rome to impart your gift. I know that it would be an encouragement to go and see for yourself the work that God was doing in Rome. But why do you need to visit them to preach the gospel? I mean, the whole thing immediately raises a couple of questions for us. First, don't they already have the gospel? Isn't that what he was eager to come and reap when he's talking about coming to reap a harvest? Weren't they the fruits of the gospel? Why does he need to preach the gospel again to them? And furthermore, if he does need to preach to them, why does he have to do it in person? I mean... Isn't that the reason that we have all these New Testament letters? Couldn't he easily write what he wanted to say to them in a letter? Well, first, Paul knows like we 
should know that the gospel is not a one-time act. In fact, it's not an act at all. The gospel is a declaration. The gospel is a proclamation. The gospel is an announcement. It is an announcement. It is announcing the good news of Jesus Christ that we need to hear over and over again. It's not something only to be heard when we first get saved. Amen. It's something that must be heard week by week and day by day. We are in constant need of a reminder of who we are and of who God is and what he has done through the person and work of Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins. And second, it is a proclamation that is needed to be heard over and over again, but yet it is a proclamation that is not only spoken, but is sung and is read and is prayed and is seen. When we gather together on the Lord's Day, we gather to preach the gospel. We gather to sing the gospel. We gather to read the gospel. We gather to pray the gospel. And we gather to see the gospel. For the gospel is proclaimed when it is preached in the sermon. It is sung when it is sung in a worship song. It is read when the scriptures are recited. It is prayed when we call out to the Lord. And it is seen when we partake of the sacraments of baptism and communion. The Sabbath day is a gift from God. It is a gift from God that he established right at creation, a day when we seize from our labors and our duties and our distractions, a day when we can embrace the rest that is given to the believer, an exclusive rest. The world remains weary, but the Christian can rest, a rest that is only found in the good news, a rest that is only found in the gospel, a rest that is found through the proclamation of the gospel, that you, a sinner, need not work to obtain a righteousness that you can never obtain on your own anyway, that you, a sinner, need not worry about the wrath of God that is to come. Now you can rest. Now you can rest in Christ, Christ, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is why in the New Testament, believers honor the Sabbath on Sunday, not on Saturday, because the first day of the week is when Jesus secured our rest by resurrecting from the dead. When we walked with Christ, we walked united with him. And when he walked out of that tomb, our rest was signed, sealed, and delivered. At the cross, it was finished. At the tomb, it was secured. Death, where is your victory, O grave, where is your sting? And this is what we proclaim when we gather on the Lord's day. Things that can't be proclaimed the way they were intended to be if we can't physically gather together. Yes, technology is a gift. And yes, we thank God for being able to do what we're doing now to put our sermons online, to stream and to do online Bible study. But this is no substitute I don't care what kind of production you can deliver through media, cameras, and lighting, and streaming services. These are not the ordinary means of grace. These things are not what God has ordained for our spiritual nourishment. Keep your fancy sound systems and give me a chorus of singing saints. Keep your elaborate lighting and give me a preacher who will stand on the pulpit and exposit the word of God. Keep your innovative production and give me brothers and sisters that I can see week after week and that I can get to know, that I can greet with a smile, that I can hug, that I can pray with, that I can cry with, 
that I can encourage, that can encourage me. That's what the ecclesia, the church, is all about. It is about a foretaste of heaven. It is a glimpse of our glorious future, a day when we will finally gather together in the presence of one another, never to be hindered again, a day when we can gather together in the presence of our Lord, worshiping his glorious name and feasting at his table forever and never. We get a small, a very tiny glimpse of that when we gather, seeing one another, partaking of the table in the presence of our maker, that is just a taste of we will see what we will see one day. And nothing can fill in for that. I don't want to settle for this. I don't want to get used to this. This is not the way gathering was prescribed. This is no glimpse of heaven. This is nothing more than a providential way to continue some kind of normalcy. To continue hearing the word from your pastor, continue to hear... Worship that you're used to hearing and reading and singing, albeit from afar. But I don't want to get comfortable here. Like Paul, I want to long to see my fellow saints. I want to share with you anything that I have, and I want to receive an encouragement from you. I want to hear, I want to sing, I want to pray, and I want to see the gospel with my friends. Amen. So like Paul, I pray Asking God that somehow that might be in God's will. Amen. Let us pray.